It's April 20th, 2012, and this is DOD This Week, a weekly podcast with news from inside the DOD and from around the world. April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month, and the Department of Defense is highlighting its campaign to end sexual assault in the military. The department will submit a report on sexual assault to Congress at the end of the month. Air Force Major General Mary Kay Hertog, director of the DOD Sexual Assault Prevention and Response Office, said that while training is now mandatory at all levels of the military, and reporting assaults is easier now than ever, sexual assault remains a problem. From the time an airman, soldier, sailor, or marine walks in the door, is recruited, enlists, takes an oath of commission, in their basic training, they're going to be told that sexual assault is a crime. It's not going to be tolerated, condoned, excused, ignored. In a briefing to the Pentagon Press Corps, Secretary of Defense Leon Panetta said the number of sexual assaults in the services is unacceptable and all volunteer force can't sustain itself if sexual assault is so pervasive that it deters potential recruits. As I've said before, sexual assault has no place in the military, and we have made it a top priority to combat this crime. And I think our goal has been to do everything possible to open up the military to everyone who wants to serve this country. To do that, we must effectively deal with this kind of threat. One reason fighting sexual assault is so difficult is because most assaults go unreported. For every report of sexual assault, you can be guaranteed that there's probably five to six times more victims out there that will never come forward to report because of many different reasons. Men and women will not come forward the very same reasons. Number one, they're uncomfortable talking about it. They don't want anybody to know about it. There's still a great stigma attached to sexual assault. They fear maybe reprisal, that people will retaliate against them, or that their commander may not take them seriously. General Hertog said leaders need to be willing to take all reports seriously. As long as people feel uncomfortable reporting these crimes, sexual assault will remain a problem. The most critical aspect of getting somebody comfortable with reporting is going to be that leadership climate that you have in your organization. Individuals can file an unrestricted report, which triggers an investigation and possible criminal charges, as well as counseling and medical care. They may also choose to remain anonymous in the report by using the DOD's restricted reporting procedures. If you want to remain confidential, you don't want to take this report through your chain of command, you can go and, and have a restricted report. You can go to your, your SARC, your Sexual Assault Response Coordinator, your victim advocate or a health care provider and state, I've been a victim of sexual assault, I need some help, but I do not want my chain of command to know about it and I don't want it investigated. We will respect that. For more information on the military's battle against sexual assault and the reporting options available to sexual assault victims, visit safehelpline.org or call the helpline at 877-995-5247. The Safe Helpline is available at all times and is completely anonymous. Secretary of Defense Leon Panetta traveled to Brussels, Belgium this week for a ministerial meeting with NATO allies to discuss the way forward in Afghanistan and other international issues. In a joint press conference with Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, Panetta said despite recent incidents in Afghanistan, NATO and the International Security Assistance Force are committed to success in the country. And what came out of these meetings was a strong commitment to sticking to the plan and the strategy that has been laid out by General Allen and finishing the job in Afghanistan. Panetta also addressed some of the recent incidents in Afghanistan specifically. The behavior of some soldiers in photographs published by the Los Angeles Times this week, he said, is unacceptable. With, uh, with regards to the photos, uh, I've strongly condemned uh, 
what we see in those photos, uh, as has uh, General Allen. Uh, that behavior that was depicted in those photos absolutely violates both our regulations and more importantly our core values. Uh, this is not who we are and it's certainly not who we represent uh, when it comes to the great majority of uh, men and women in uniform who are serving there. He also pointed to a recent coordinated Taliban attack which was repelled by Afghan forces with minimal NATO assistance. The fact is with regards to the events that took place over the weekend we saw Afghan security forces do what we have trained them to do. They responded quickly, professionally, and with great courage, rendering ineffective those largely symbolic attacks that we saw in and around Kabul. And the reality is that the transition to Afghan security and governance is continuing and progressing. In all, Secretary said he and other NATO defense leaders see Afghanistan moving in a positive direction. Allies and partners have a very clear vision and a very clear message. Our strategy is right, our strategy is working, and if we stick to it, we can achieve the mission. Thursday morning, Secretary Panetta and General Martin Dempsey, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, testified before the House Armed Services Committee on the situation in Syria. Both said a military intervention may not be necessary but the Defense Department is prepared regardless. We maintain an agile, regional, and global posture. We have solid military relationships with every country on Syria's border. Should we be called, our responsibility is clear. Provide the Secretary of Defense and the President with options, and these options will be judged in terms of their suitability, their feasibility, and their acceptability. For more information about the Secretary's statements and news from the DOD, visit defense.gov and dodlive.mil. On Monday, April 16th, President Barack Obama announced that Army Specialist 4, Leslie H. Sabo Jr., a rifleman with the 101st Airborne Division, will posthumously receive the Medal of Honor on May 16th for his actions during the Vietnam War. On May 10th, 1970, Sabo's platoon was ambushed from all sides, but Sabo pushed forward, killing several enemy soldiers. Sabo then continued to assault the enemy's flanking force, drawing fire away from the platoon and ultimately forcing the enemy to retreat. After securing a resupply of ammunition, an enemy grenade landed nearby. Sabo threw the grenade back and shielded an injured soldier, absorbing the brunt of the explosion himself. Sabo continued to charge the enemy's bunker despite his wounds, taking enemy fire from an automatic machine gun. Sabo threw a grenade into the bunker, silencing the enemy and ending his own life. Sabo's unit nominated him for the Medal of Honor, but the paperwork was lost until recently. The U.S. and a broad coalition of nations are preparing for Pacific Partnership 2012, a humanitarian and medical exercise set to begin in May. Navy Captain James Morgan, the mission commander, and other mission leaders joined a DOD Live Bloggers Roundtable Wednesday to discuss the mission's seventh yearly iteration. The Navy is deploying the USNS Mercy, Military Sealift Command's hospital ship, to Indonesia, Vietnam, Cambodia, and the Philippines. The Mercy will spend two weeks at each port, providing medical, dental, and veterinary care during in-country clinics and outreach efforts. This is Captain Tim Hinman. I am the commanding officer aboard the Mercy Hospital. What the hospital brings on this mission is significant medical mission capability. We are the equivalent of any large hospital that you might find on land 
both in the United States as well as overseas. Mercy has one of the largest capabilities to receive and treat trauma anywhere in the world, on shore or on the water. We have full-spectrum surgical and medical services, x-ray, CT, dental, optometry, a lens fabrication lab, physical therapy, angiography, pharmacy, even the capability to produce our own oxygen. Pacific Partnership began as an international response to the 2004 tsunami that devastated Indonesia and Southeast Asia. Captain Morgan said since then it's grown substantially. I've actually referred to this mission as a mission that shows a whole of government approach. Um, we've also invited and a number of partner nations, which I've already talked about, there are 13 partner nations that are currently taking part in it, as well as the NGOs and the government organizations. The Pacific Partnership is represented across the interagency as well. It includes the Department of State, USAID, the Department of Justice, uh, NOAA, plus all the other services. So, again, I, I reemphasize it as a, um, as a whole of government approach. This year, Australia, Canada, Chile, France, Japan, Malaysia, the Netherlands, New Zealand, Peru, Singapore, South Korea, and Thailand have all committed to take part in the mission. In addition, Captain Morgan said, non-governmental organizations like the East-West Center, Global Grins, Hope Worldwide, Project Handclasp, the University of California at San Diego Pre-Dental Society, Latter-day Saints Charities, the University of Hawaii, and World Vets will have members participating. I'd like to emphasize the importance that the NGOs bring to this mission because uh, they are really our continuity from mission to mission. Um, to, from mission to mission, the command staff change out, the mission commander staff change out, but some of our NGOs like Latter-day Saints, uh, Global Grins, the, uh, any number of the NGOs though, that, uh, that participate in the mission provide that continuity from year to year. In addition to humanitarian work, Captain Morgan said, Pacific Partnership also includes engineering projects and conferences with local officials. I honestly believe that based on that experience, the importance of building relationships over a long period of time, the capacity that you bring to a mission, you execute and carry out that mission because of the relationships you build during that time and over the course of many years. So I believe that that validates the importance of conducting exercises and missions like Pacific Partnership uh, because it's those relationships, the trust, the capacity you build together because we've seen what can happen in that area of the world and we need to rely on that uh, because we know at some point we're all going to have to come together because that's just how we respond these days. For more information, visit Navy.mil, Defense.gov, or the State Department's website at State.gov. This week, General Martin Dempsey, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, applauded the work the Sesame Workshop is doing to help military families. At a Sesame Workshop panel discussion with military and veteran advocates, the general highlighted the Sesame Workshop campaign, Talk, Listen, Connect, Deployment, Homecoming, and Changes. The campaign is a kit of DVDs and booklets designed to help families talk about difficult issues with young children. The campaign uses characters from the popular TV show Sesame Street to discuss challenges unique to military families, like separation during deployment, post-traumatic stress, serious injury, and death of a parent. General Dempsey noted it's no surprise that the residents of Sesame Street are more effective than military officials when it comes to talking to kids. It's a better outcome because what these young men and women and their children see 
is not that it's just the government's responsibility to care for them, but that, but that the nation cares. By the way, the other thing about that is the credibility that comes with it. So generals do a lot of stuff, but I'll bet you that you will pay more attention to what Rosita says <laughs> than anything any four-star general or admiral is going to say. The general ended his remarks with a sing-along. He, the panel, and the audience all joined in a light-hearted rendition of the Sesame Street theme song. I'm kind of a Sinatra Irish pub kind of guy. <laughs> and what I want you to join me in right now as I walk out is the Sesame Street theme song. Come on. Oh, let's yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. I'm, by the way, in advance, I'm going to get a few of the words wrong and I'll be a little off. <laughs> but it's the thought that counts. Yeah, I'm 60, and which is the new 30, by the way. Here we go. Sunny days, rushing on. Clouds away, on my way to where the air is sweet. Won't you tell me how to get, how to get to Sesame Street? Thank you very much. For more about how the Defense Department is helping military children, visit the Month of the Military Child News Special on defense.gov. You've been listening to DOD This Week for the week of April 20th, 2012. For links to these stories and more, please visit dodlive.mil.